last class on Wednesday of last week, we introduced a new one, and that was the temple. So many times we don't fully take advantage of the temple. We keep the temple at a distance. And yet, what have you heard President Nelson say from the beginning of his presidency? He said it so many times. Make time for the temple and what? If we combine a bunch of his talks, do you remember how he talked about you'll rest? And the reason we'll rest isn't because our burden is, goes away. The reason we rest is because our back is strengthened to carry the burden. So it seems lighter. And what is one reason, what is one way I can strengthen my back? I go to the temple. The temple is often pushed out of my life as a tear. And yet, what is it? It is one of the most powerful tools of getting revelation into my life. So last week, we talked about two reasons why we build temples. So turn to section 101, or sorry, 109. 109 is the dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple. Now, if you think about this, this is kind of odd. Notice in the very chapter heading, Joseph says he received the prayer as revelation. Now, who do we pray to? Isn't prayer man to Heavenly Father and revelation is Heavenly Father to man? So it's odd, right? Heavenly Father did what? Heavenly Father said to Joseph Smith, say this to me. Does that strike you as odd? He reveals a prayer. Say this to me. Why would he do that? Why would Heavenly Father reveal the dedicatory prayer? Probably because why? So he's got to establish a pattern, right? Yep. And? And second, sometimes we're needing to know what it is we're needing to ask. <laughs> Joseph has no idea what a temple can do. And so the Lord takes over and says, I know you're asking me for some blessings, but you don't even know what you don't know. So let me tell you what you don't know. Let me have you tell me why we build temples. It's brilliant if you think about it. The Lord is revealing to Joseph a prayer to dedicate the temple. Okay, so we're going to find in it what Joseph didn't know and what we often sometimes don't know about temples. So turn to section 109, dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple. And here's what we did last week. Now, Dion, there's a website that has all of the previous classes. If you want to go back and listen, and they're available on podcasting apps, they're available on my website. I'm just trying to make them available in any format that would help you. So you can go back and listen to the last class. Iram, you can go back and listen to the last class. I haven't uploaded it yet. I had a crazy, my wife injured her shoulder and I've been busy taking care of her. But I promise I'll get them up today. So here's what we did. Verse 5. Notice the word that. For thou knowest that we have done this work through great tribulation, and out of our poverty we have given of our substance to build a house to thy name, that. In other words, we built this house, that. And what answer does the Lord have Joseph Smith say? Why did we build the temple? We build temples. Now, setting ordinances aside, just for a moment. We build temples so that, why, Dion? What does it say? 
that the Son of Man might have a place to manifest himself to his people. You have a place of increased divine attention. Now, you and I, we all know that Heavenly Father can answer prayers wherever, in the shower, in the car. I know that. But he's saying there is increased divine attention in the temple. There is something about taking your problems to the temple and receiving greater manifestations from God because that's why we build temple. Increased divine attention in the temple. Take advantage of that. That's an Abinadi. That's a terror that we some, sometimes we view the temple as a terror, and it is not. It is wheat. And we need to take more advantage of just, it's funny that I, I know people who, well, I can't go to the temple. I can't go to the temple if I can't do an ordinance. I'm physically not able to do an ordinance, so I can't go to the temple. No. Ordinance work is one wonderful blessing of going to the temple. But how about just going there to receive revelation? So that the Son of Man has a place to manifest himself to his people. There was one. That was number one we talked about last week. Number two, verses 12 and 13. Hiram, would you just mind reading those? Just as a preface to what we're going to do today. 12 and 13. That thy glory may rest down upon thy people and upon this thy house, which we now dedicate to thee, that it may be sanctified and consecrated to be holy, and that thy holy presence may be continually in this house, and that all people who shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house may feel thy power and feel constrained to acknowledge that thou hast sanctified it, and that, and that it is thy house, a place of thy holy. So why do we build temples? We give him a place to live. Now, going home is not quite right, ready, right? Going home isn't, it's not time. Hiram, don't go home yet. Not yet. So the next best thing would be what? Have him come here. And you go meet him there. I love verse 13, that anyone who enters into the threshold of the house can feel his, and I swap the word, the P word in 12 with the P word in 13. I think they're interchangeable. We could say in verse 12, that thy holy power may be continually in this house, and all people shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house, shall feel his presence. Why do we go to the temple? To be with him. To just be with him. So we talked about that last time, and I told the story about my daughter and sleeping next to me on the floor when she's scared. We go to the temple to be with him. All right, now, caught up. Any thoughts, comments? How we use temples? Let's do number three. This is where we need to pick it up. Verses 14 and 15. Why do we build temples? Let's read. Dion 14, 15, do you mind? And do thou grant, Holy Father, that all those who shall worship in this house may be taught words of wisdom out of the best books, and that they may seek learning even by study and also by faith as thou hast said. I'm going to pause right there. It is my observation that Latter-day Saints usually don't go to the temple to be taught. We usually don't go to the temple seeking learning. We go to the temple to feel. 
we go to the temple to receive revelation. But very few people look at the temple. I'm going to go be taught. I'm going to school. I'm going to God's school. And I'm going to be taught. Because I'm tired of what the world is teaching me. There's a fascinating phrase in Jesus' childhood that says, he needed not that any man should teach him. Now, why was that? Who was teaching him? And he needed not that man. Now, I don't mean, you know, I, I can forego algebra and all those wonderful things, but I've got to give God time to teach me. And so let me open up an idea in your head that the greatest learning you will do it's not an institute. It's not in Sunday school. It's not in scripture study. Those are wonderful. But perhaps the greatest learning you will do is in his house. Now, we talked about the symbolism of the temple. We go into the temple as a newborn baby, right? Or a reborn baby. So what do we do in the temple? Read 15. And that they may grow up in thee and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost and be organized according to thy laws and be prepared to obtain every needful thing. Grow up in him and receive a... What would that suggest? If I read 15 correctly, what does that suggest I can't receive here outside of it? It would suggest what, Hiram? The only place to receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost is in the temple. And to grow up spiritually, I need to go to the temple. Now, flip back to 97. This is Jackson County, and the Jackson County saints have been persecuted, and they're about to leave. They've been kicked off their lands, but the Lord gives them an out. Look at verse 10. What's the out? The Lord gives them an out. What's the out? One, or section 97, verse 10. What's the out? Build a temple. And verse 11, what don't we normally do? Build it speedily, as fast as you can. The Lord gave them an out build a temple, and the Jackson County persecutions go away. He even says, look at verse 25, Zion shall escape if she do the things what I've commanded. Did they build that temple? They didn't, and they got kicked off their lands. I've always wondered if they had gone out and started to build the temple. Now, bless their hearts, I, which temple got built? Kirtland, because why? Most likely because why? Because who's in Kirtland to oversee the building of the temple? Joseph. He's not here in Jackson County. I don't know if Joseph had, I don't know, but they didn't build the Jackson County temple and they got kicked off their lands. But in calling for a temple, verse 13 and 14. Sabrina, would you read these? Section 97, Verses 13 and 14. And again, we're back to the idea of why do we build temples? And let me just change your thinking. I, I, I love that we think of going to the temple when something's weighing me down. When I've got a problem, my son is sick. I go to the temple and I plead for help because that's where the Son of Man manifests himself to his people. 
And I love that when I just need to connect with God, I go to the temple. I need to feel. I love those. But listen to his plea of what the temple becomes. Sabrina, could you read those? Section 97, 13, and 14. for all saints and for a place of instruction for all those who are called to the work of the ministry and all their servings and all their several callings and offices that they may be perfected in the understanding of their ministry in theory and principle and in doctrine and all things pertaining to the kingdom of God on the earth the keys of which the kingdom have been conferred upon you boy that doesn't describe how why most people go to the temple right to be taught all things pertaining the kingdom of God. If that holds true, and I wanna be a better parent, if I wanna be a better father, where's the greatest instruction on how to be a better father? In the temple. How about, uh, what's your calling? Uh, outreach coordinator. Okay, if I wanna be a better outreach coordinator, where, I, where do I go to be taught? How to be a better outreach coordinator? The temple. Now here's the problem. Why is it that the average Latter-day Saint does not see the temple as a place of instruction? Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, perhaps oftentimes they just see it as a place to do the work for the dead. So we get caught up in the work, the other work that we're doing. I love that. And I, 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 that's why I'm pleading to change our mentality. Ordinance work is essential. But going to the temple to be taught, he this is now the second place in the scripture where he's begging, go to the temple to be taught. Now, I think one of the main reasons, one of the other main reasons, is we don't speak the language. Can you imagine going through an endowment session in a language you didn't speak? Would you get anything out of it? Not a whole lot. Well, the reality is we all do that unless we speak what language? What language does Heavenly Father speak in the temple? A language of symbolism. And we're not really good with symbols. In fact, which book of Scripture is often about symbolic writing? And we really don't get off on which books of Scripture do Latter-day Saints struggle the most with? Isaiah. Tell me this isn't true of the temple. Go to 2 Nephi chapter 25, after Nephi has written a whole bunch of Isaiah chapters. Tell me if this doesn't describe the temple as well. Hiram, would you read verse 1? 2 Nephi 25, verse 1. For behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for many of my people to understand, for they know not concerning the manner of prophesying among them. Tell me what you get out of that verse. Would, would you agree that that describes a lot of people going to the temple? You didn't get a whole lot. It's hard for you, right? This is hard for you because why? Why does he suggest it's hard for them? Now, if we're going to change that in a temple, we've got to learn the language of symbolism. So let me show you what the Book of Mormon does. This fascinates you. Are you, are you okay? Do you think it's a, log, a, a logical jump to say understanding the temple is like understanding Isaiah? Decent connection. Understanding the temple, 
The symbolic nature of the temple is like understanding the symbolic nature of Isaiah. So here are the major chunks of Isaiah in Nephi's writings. First, he ends first Nephi with two chapters. Jacob throws in two chapters, and then Nephi throws in 13 chapters. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look before and after and make a list of hints that Nephi suggests would help us with Isaiah. How can I get more out of Isaiah? And we're going to find, I'm going to just, you'll find more on your own, but I'm going to focus on three. Three suggestions on how to get more out of Isaiah. Let's start right here, verse 11, or chapter 11, 2 Nephi chapter 11. Let me draw it like this. There's our number one. So turn to 2 Nephi chapter 11, right before the 13 chapter insert. Now, look at me. I'm going to give you a blank, and I want you to fill in the blank, because odds are you won't. And that's okay that you won't, because we don't see it this way. All right, ready? Look at me. Don't look at the scriptures. No cheating. Fill in this blank. Ready? <clears throat> and now I write some of the words of Isaiah, that whoso of my people shall blank these words may lift up their hearts and rejoice. Let me do it again. And now I write some of the words of Isaiah that whoso of my people shall blank these words. Give me the blank. Read, read is a good one, right? Read is logical. We've got to read the words of Isaiah. That's not what Nephi said. Give me another one. Search. search is a fantastic one. You've got to search the words of Isaiah. If you don't search the words of Isaiah, you'll never understand them. Brilliant, but not what Nephi said. Give me your other one. So understand. Understand is fantastic. You have to understand. If you don't understand Isaiah, you're missing the whole point. So the whole point is to understand Isaiah, not what Nephi said. Any other guesses? Live. Live is fantastic. You have to put it into practice, not what Nephi said. Here is a good one. You've got to hear him. And that goes beyond the text, right? It talks about whisperings of the Spirit. Brilliant, but not what Nephi said. Take a look at what Nephi said, verse 8. First Nephi, or Second Nephi 11, verse 8, and tell me the word he used. If you're going to get more out of the temple, and if you're going to get more out of Isaiah, you have to learn to see. You have to learn to see. You have to walk into the temple with eyes wide open saying, I'm noticing everything. I'm going to see it. You'll never pick up on a symbol if you don't see it. When does that symbol show up? How? Why? Where? Let me see it. So many things in the temple that we just don't see. Let me illustrate. At the Jordan River Temple, and I don't... I haven't been back. My temple's now a different one, but my temple growing up was Jordan River. And I haven't been back since they remodeled, so I don't know if it's still there. But when I went through the Jordan River Temple, my grandfather was an ordinance worker. And there was a big mural in the waiting room in front of the lockers. 
And we were done before the women, and so we were sitting there, and my grandpa said, come here, Bryce, and he took me to the mural. And he said, I want you to count the birds in this mural. And I counted the birds. I counted 18. He said, I count 32. What? I counted again, got 20. I count 32. And so every single time I went to the temple, I stopped at that mural and counted the birds. I remember I started to notice them where I didn't expect them, perched in trees. Some were even sitting on the ground, eating fruit from the ground. I got 24. I got 26. I got up to 28. I got up to 30. I remember the day I counted 32 birds and I was so excited, but I didn't stop. I kept looking at the mural. I thought, I wonder if my grandpa missed any. I'll never forget when I, caught, when I counted 33 and then 34. And then it dawned on me what my brilliant grandfather was asking me to do. Do you see it? What was he asking me to do? Look, come to the temple and look. I found birds he hadn't found because he asked me to look. See the symbols. Now, we're going to practice this a lot in just a minute, but see the symbols. Notice things you've never noticed. Now, let's practice, but let's get the other two up. So I don't want to jump into practicing because I want to practice all three at the same time. So if I'm going to get more revelation, if I'm going to get more from heaven, if I'm going to be taught more, I need to learn to see. I need to learn to see. Okay, number two. Let's go back to every time they begin. Every single one of these. Let's go back to 1 Nephi 19. 1 Nephi 19. Right before he's in now, this is the very first time Nephi's going to insert Isaiah into his record. And notice what he says twice in verse 23 and 24. Can you find a word that's repeated in 23 and 24? If you want to get more out of the temple, if you want to get more out of Isaiah, you have to learn to In both of those verses, he uses a single word. What's the word? Lichen. Go to 2 Nephi chapter 6. Jacob's going to insert two chapters. Actually, he's going to insert a paragraph in chapter 6 and then two chapters in 7 and 8. Go to verse 5. 2 Nephi chapter 6, verse 5. Can you find those same two words in that single verse of 5? And notice 6 and 7, he's quoting Isaiah. So right before he quotes Isaiah and then inserts two chapters, he says, can you find them in, two, in, in one verse? They may be likened unto you. I'm going to give you Isaiah, which may be likened unto you. That's four times so far. Now go to the last one. Go to first Nephi, or Second Nephi 11, right before the 13th chapter. Look at verse 2 and look at verse 8. Verse 2 and verse 8. Six times in the Book of Mormon, before he includes Isaiah, he says, you have to liken. See it? 
and then liken it, apply it. I am not a bull sitting on a bunch of oxen. But once I see it, what does it have to do with me? How am I like a bull sitting on a bunch of oxen? How am I like a compass? How am I like a square? I see something. Now I'm going to liken it. Now, I may not be able to liken, and, and I've been tempted to do this one before liken, but sometimes I can just jump right into it. Some I struggle with, and so I'm going to put this one, but please know that sometimes this one comes here. If I can't liken it, I need to do something before I can liken it. Now, those that I can't liken immediately, I need to move on to number three. So go to 2 Nephi 25. After, so now we're going to go here. After the 13 chapter chunk, verse 25, which Hiram read verse 1, that my people don't understand Isaiah because it's hard, because they don't know the manner of prophesying among the Jews. They don't speak the language of symbolism. Notice how many times he says plainness. I'm going to speak in plainness. That's what they know. And that's what you and I have been raised on is plainness. So when God speaks symbolism to us, we don't, I don't understand. But why did Nephi understand? Look at verse 6. What gave Nephi an advantage to understanding Isaiah? He lived there, meaning, look at the phrase, I know concerning the regions round about. In other words, I understand the symbols that he's talking about. I know what a teal tree is. I know what the cedars of Lebanon are. I've seen the symbols. I understand the symbols. So you may need to dig a little. You may need to do a little digging to understand the symbols. When Jesus says that faith is like a mustard tree, it's not a sequoia. He's not saying faith is like a sequoia. He's saying faith is like a mustard tree. What's the difference? Well, I need to know what makes a mustard tree a mustard tree. I need to dig a little, and then I can liken. You may need to dig a little into a symbol. You may need to go back and look for bowls and compasses and squares. And you may need to dig. Now, when you go to the temple, something gets held up frequently. Where do we dig? Where do we dig in order to understand the temple better? So are you willing to go home and dig a little bit? One of the most powerful symbols of the temple is a bowl. I'll do it differently. I'm holding a bowl, this time with two hands. So what's the symbol of a bowl? If you were to search for the word bowl, you're not going to find it very often. So I begin to say, okay, what other words are like bowls? Words like candlesticks. Oh, that's often in the scriptures. And I begin to dig and make some connections. What do you put in? I'm a candlestick. Well, what do you put in a candlestick? Oil. Not wick, not wax like we do today. You put oil. What's the oil in the scriptures? It's the spirit. 
I am a bowl that needs to be filled with the Spirit so I can give off the light. And I start to make some connections. You may need to dig a little bit. So let's practice. I left this on so we could use this. And Sabrina, I'm going to see if I can pull this over so that I'll stay here. If I walk off screen and that disappears, you let me know. But I'll stay here so that we can keep the TV in front of us. Okay, let's do some symbols. And you tell me what you see. All right. Tell me what you see. Center spile, east side, looking up on the Salt Lake Temple. Tell me what you see. And have you ever seen it? Did you know the Big Dipper is on the Salt Lake Temple? Now, an example of growing up in Utah. You grew up in Utah? Growing up in Utah. How many times have you been to Temple Square? Okay, at least a dozen, right? Hiram, grew up in Utah? Yeah. Grew up in Utah. I've walked Temple Square. I proposed to my wife on Temple Square. I never saw it. I never saw the Big Dipper. And then when I saw it, okay, see it. I see the Big Dipper. Now, let's liken. Why is the Big Dipper on the Salt Lake Temple? Tell me what you see. So I remember there's a trick. There's a Big Dipper. Uh, was it those two? I, yep. thought, I thought it was on the handle. It's these two right here. Okay, so those two. Where because why? What's hard to find in the night sky? But what's easy to find in the North Star sky? Okay, so I get it. I'm looking at this building, and this building does what? This building points me to the constant in my life. I love that. That's an easy application. I know that the Big Dipper, because of my digging, because of what I understand, I know that the Big Dipper points to Polaris. Therefore, the application is that this building, come into this building and find Christ. You've got to find him in this building. This building and your covenants will point you to him. And it's the one constant in your life that will get you to your destination. Every other star moves. Have you ever seen a time lapse of the night sky? Google that. Find a time lapse of the night sky. The whole sky rotates around one point. And guess what the one point is? Polaris. It's the constant. Okay, but don't stop. Keep going. Tell me what else you see. Don't say Big Dipper. I see the Big Dipper. Okay. What else do you see? Let me give you an example. I see a ladle. A ladle for scooping up. I see a ladle for scooping up. I see a bowl. Oh my goodness, I see a bowl. Now, how big in reality is that bowl? Massive, right? It feels galaxies could fit into that bowl. Now, I think Heavenly Father is saying to me, here's the application, here's the like. You bring me a bowl and I'll fill it. 
you three brought a bowl to institute today. And he's going to fill it. Now, if, if, if this is the size of the bowl I brought, what's he going to fill? He'll fill that. But he's limited by the bowl I bring. He can only fill the bowl I brought. Have you ever gone to sacrament and this is what you brought him? This is all I brought you, Lord. Well, I can fill that. Now, what if I went to sacrament holding a bowl like this? What would he do? He'd fill it. What is he saying to me? You bring me a bowl. The size, the literal size of the Big Dipper. And I will fill it. That to me is an invitation to bring him the largest bowl I possibly can. Now, do you see what I'm doing? With one little symbol. Just one little symbol. Let's do... Let's do a dig one. I'm going to leave this one to you, and you're going to hate me for doing this. But let's do a dig one. Um, you will notice on the Salt Lake Temple, suns. And you will also notice moons and stars. Now, there's stars above the doors, but notice that star's upside down. That's a different star. The right side up stars are where? Where is this? It's at the top. So suns, moons, and stars. Now, if you keep digging, you'll notice an anomaly. Now, why a sun, moon, and star on the Salt Lake Temple? Give me the obvious. Okay, uh, kingdoms of glory. And not just that, but worlds in this life I have to navigate through. I have to walk through the telestial world and then into the terrestrial world. There's a difference between the telestial world and the telestial kingdom. On my way to the celestial kingdom, what do I have to walk through? The telestial and terrestrial worlds. And can I let go of the... That's a beautiful thing to put on the Salt Lake Temple. The kingdoms and the worlds of progression. But if you keep looking, something's not right. Do you see it? Here are the suns, here are the moons, and there are the stars. You see it better in Nauvoo. Let me take you to the Nauvoo temple. There's the moon, but it's at the bottom. There's the sun and there's the stars. Notice on the Nauvoo temple, it's obvious. Moon, sun, stars. That's out of order. If those are kingdoms of glory, that's out of order. It doesn't go terrestrial, celestial, telestial. So we got to dig. Is there a place, is there a place in the scriptures where the sun is in the middle, the stars are on top, and the moon's on the bottom? Yes. Where is it? Where 
is the sun in the middle, the stars at the top, and the moon at the bottom. One of the greatest connections I've ever made in my life is when I saw that and I dug and now I liken. Anyone think of it? Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it. Revelation 12, 1. Now, it's better in the King James Version, but we'll read it in the JST. Or no, it's better in the JST. We'll read it in the King. That was complete opposite. Okay? Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Tell me what is... Let's just read it. Who want, who's there? Read it. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So what's the order? Clothed in the sun, round her body, standing on the moon, and what was on top of her? Crown of stars. In other words, yes, see kingdoms of glory, but see something else. This building is... That woman. This building is that woman. And she is? Who is the woman? Who is this woman? Can you find the interpretation in, verse, in chapter 12? Okay, we're in King James. Um, where is it in King James? You know what? Just go to the JST. Go to verse 1. Hit that JST. It's so much better in the JST. Let's go there. Okay, verse 7 in the italicized. So JST, verse 7. Tell me who the woman is. The church. The church. Of Christ. Now, how many times have we seen this imagery that Jesus is the husband and the church is the wife? Now, what do you know about this woman? Going back to verse 3, what do you know about this woman? No, sorry, verse 2, what do you know about this woman? She's, with child. She's pregnant. That means there's a father, right? Who's the father? Who's the husband? Jesus and the church are giving birth to a child. Now, in one sense, I've got that woman here. Let me see if I can find her. I don't know if I put her. See if I put her in here. I didn't. I found a woman. I can find it quickly. There it is. Moon, sun, stars, pregnant. Now that is a fun image to play with. The temple is a pregnant woman. And Jesus is the husband. Who's that? 
Now, collectively, collectively, who is it? Look at verse 3. Collectively, who's the child? We have a name for him. What is the name? She was brought forth of a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who is that? That's Zion. So why do we build temples? What's the purpose of the temple? Why do we build temples in the latter days? To build Zion, to bring to pass Zion. Okay, I love that. But who is that child individually? That's me. Who's my mom? Church. Who's my dad? Jesus. Interesting scripture. Go to Mosiah chapter 7, verse 5. No, 5 7. Mosiah 5 7. Book of Mormon, Mosiah 5 7. Hiram, do you mind reading this one? Mosiah 5 7. And because of the covenant, all of this is the covenant. Because of the covenant, uh, which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters. Wow. If he's my father, who's my mother? Who's my mother? There's my mother. Now that's fascinating. Did I come through her womb? When did I go through her? When was I in her womb? When was I surrounded by her water? Completely enclosed in her water. Boom! Do you, do you see the lights going on? And all of a sudden we're making connections about covenants and relationships. I was in her womb and was born. Now, what's the culmination? A womb. Think about a womb, okay? Allow the imagery. Coming, think of coming out of your mother's womb. I am going to head to a veil and I'm going to come out of that veil into whose presence? My father's presence. My mother, my mother is trying to give birth and put me where? Into my father's presence. A whole purpose, this relationship, the relationship I have with her is mother to child. Now, do you see how to get more? Do you see how to increase this? Because I'm looking here and I'm studying and I'm digging. Now, one more. You said you were the outreach coordinator. Yes. Let's do this one. You've heard the word compass. You wear a compass. And probably when you hear the word compass, which one do you think of? When you hear the sign of the compass, I'm guessing most of us think of which one? This one, right? But what shape is written on you? This shape? This shape. 
This is the compass he's referring to. Now, certainly applies. There's certainly some application. But this is the compass. This is the shape that I wear. Now, tell me what these do. So, I've never actually learned, but I assume that you set a measured distance and you're able to calculate uh, those measured distances. There's one. I am able to calculate the distance. We'll talk about that some other day. Tell me what else this does. Notice that this is a point and this is lead. What do you do with this? You draw a circle. How do you draw a circle with a compass? You put a point and then, now does this sound familiar language? All truth is into that circle, right? We're drawing circles that have points. We're drawing circles that have a point. So every time there's a circle, what do you need to think? There's a point. What is this circle pointing to? Now, just we're over time, but because you said your calling is an outreach coordinator and I'm trying to tell you, you go to the temple to learn how to fulfill your callings. There's a point in the temple where we make a circle. We form a circle. And the first thing that I should be thinking is there's a point. This circle was drawn with a compass and the compass centered on something. What did it center on? What's the center of the circle? The altar. The altar. Now, what is the symbolism of, of the altar? That's where we make covenants. That's where we make covenants, but what was offered on that altar? That's Jesus. That's the atoning sacrifice, right? So what is the center of the circle? Now, that means, why do we get into a circle? Tell me why people get into a circle. This class is not in a circle, and that means he's having a difficult time seeing you. He can see me, but he can't see you, and none of you can see Sabrina. But why get into a circle? It allows me to see everyone. Now, if I'm going to see you clearly, I need to see you through what? Do you see those people you're outreaching to through the atonement of Christ? Because if you don't, you'll never reach out for them. Do you see people through Christ? He is the center of the circle. Now, I don't want to stop there. That's a subject for another day. We can ponder on that for a thousand hours. But what do we put on that altar when we're in that circle? Please. Broken people who need to be put where? On Him. Your calling is to see them. See them through Him. And then form a circle that does what? Puts broken people on Him. That's very different than you got to get Hiram to come to priesthood. Do you see them through his atonement? Or do you just see the outward? 
And do you understand that the whole circle that we're forming as a church, the circle of your ward, the circle that you form is to get broken people onto him. Where do we typically put broken people? Where does your ward put broken people? If your ward, here's your ward. Here's the circle of your ward. Here's the circle of the boundaries of your ward. And here's the building in which you're meeting. Where are the broken people relative to that circle? Outside it. And what is your calling? You put those broken people where? First, in the center of our circle. But most importantly, where? On him. In apart and on him. And I walk away saying, Lord, I got my job. I understand my calling because I saw something. I dug a little bit and I likened it. If you want to get more revelation, go to the temple. Learn to see Learn to dig a little bit. Learn to liken. How is this circle like my calling? Like my ward? How is this circle the circle of my, my gospel fellowship? Well, is Jesus the center of my life? Do I see everyone in my life through his atoning sacrifice? Or do I just see their behavior? And am I living my life so that all these broken people can be placed on top of him? Boy, do I learn in his house. Don't just rush through it. See it. Learn to see the symbols. If you don't understand the symbol, dig a little bit. And when you do, like it. And I bear you my solemn witness by doing this, you dramatically increase this. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.